Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. I just, I just broke down. I literally broke down. If I didn't look after myself, then I'd go under as well because I knew and I told him I'm never going to move on. Well, they said, you're not liable for anything. Go. And it was just one of these moments I thought, oh my goodness me, what on earth has just happened? It was such a ridiculous situation. What are things there for? Things are only things. Life is all about content and it's about what you do in life. That's what's important. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a woman whose life is a tale of riches to rags and back to riches again, all via a stint as a chef in a castle that set her on a path to becoming one of television's best-loved chefs. Born into great privilege, she was one of three children and hers was a childhood of boarding schools, nannies and a John Nash-designed house in London's Regent's Park. And yet, for all that they had, it was a childhood bereft of love. She left school intending to become an architect, but after marrying barrister Michael Schrager when she was 21, decided instead to turn her food hobby into a business and struck out as a caterer, laying on director's lunches in the city in a time way before Pret-a-Manger and sandwich bars were a thing, and then went on to open her own restaurant. As a young married couple, they had it all going for them. They bought their first house from Harrods. It was the store they also used for their weekly grocery deliveries and welcomed a son and a daughter, Kate and Tom, to their growing family. Life was good until the mid-90s and then it wasn't. The recession wiped them out and they lost everything, including their home, her restaurant 
his business, their cars, dogs, and ultimately their marriage. Forced to start over from scratch, she stayed in friends' spare rooms and offered her services free of charge to restaurants in London and was eventually hired by acclaimed chef Pierre Kaufman at his world-famous restaurant, Le Tonclair. From there, she became head chef at a castle in the Outer Hebrides, where during her six years in residence, she founded her first cookery school, which became the subject of a Channel 5 series and, well, she's been on our screens ever since be it on cookery shows of her own, or ITV's Cooking with the Stars, where she mentors celebrity chefs, Ladette to Lady, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and the BBC's The Real Marigold Hotel. She's also just started writing fiction as well as cookbooks, and at 72 is about to publish her second crime novel, The Proof in the Pudding. What a life she's lived. Let's hear more about it, shall we, and dial up Rosemary Schrager. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Gosh, what an introduction. What an introduction. Amazing. Rosemary, I don't I don't know why you write fiction, just write you. Your life is extraordinary. <laughs> it's it's been a very it's been a long life, but it's been a good life. It's been a hard life as well. It's had it's been I call it thrills and spills. <laughs> That's what I call it. Ah. Thrills and spills. And full of froth on the coffee as well, which has been terrific. A lot of dark matter underneath, but also mm. you always come up, you never stop, you never stop fighting. And that's the most important thing. And in a way, I'm still fighting, you know, because life has to keep going on. And that's the way it works. In a way, I think I've been very privileged and very lucky to have a personality that never gives up. And that's totally bonkers and off the wall. And to be honest with you, um, I could have gone under, I could have completely given up the ghost and... You know, and on a couple of occasions, you know, I was pretty near it. But then I, I got myself through and thought, no, you've got to get on. You've got to do it. You've got to bite the bullet and do it. And that's it. So I gave myself good talking to. You sound um, like you are brimming with chutzpah and <laughs> I am. always wearing your big girl's pants. I am. Um, but it is, a, I mean, honestly, I, I had no idea how up and down your life had been and how you have kind of had to ride with the tide sometimes even when it's been crashing into the rocks and really battered you but your um your enthusiasm to carry on is extraordinary where does that appetite come from do you think well i was a, when i was a young girl when i was a boarding school i was definitely the comedian so of course i was always the comedian always the clown always the one who was funny because in a way i'm naturally funny and i can't help myself even if when i don't i'm not trying to be funny i'm funny and I actually, you know, for me, I was, you know, the, I've always been a sort of extrovert, outward going, but also very inward at the same time, um, girl. And because I used to put on plays and I used to be always the one organizing um, everything, but even then I was a bossy boots, you know, right up to now. And of course, but you see that was, it also showed a lot of strength as well. And, mm. um, and I think if I didn't have that side, I think it would have been a lot worse because I'm just a very strong woman. And that doesn't make it easy. You really are. It doesn't make it easy. You really are. Yeah, doesn't make it easy. You are the lead in your family pencil, aren't you? Everything comes <laughs> from you. Way. Yes, I am. Well, you know, the, the most important thing in life, I always feel that you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. Because if you don't look after yourself or try to make things work for yourself, 
how is anybody else going to going to help you help other people as well and the other thing is it's all about respect as well people to respect you you've got to help yourself because if you're mm. seen just not to help yourself um you know you you lose patience people lose patience with you so i think that you know it's you owe yourself to gain respect and to get it yeah. to work hard and also the other thing is during this process you grow as well you also gain courage and confidence. So all these things that happen in life, they automatically work as you go through life. And I know I know it sounds dramatic, but actually it's very big because I think that's what everybody does through life. You grow at certain times, you 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 have courage at certain times. But everything mm. you go through, when that courage has to take hold, you you do grow and you learn and never forget. Um, and I just think it's sort of like, for me, it's a, it's a sort of common sense. Well, there's a pragmatic practicality to you. Yeah. So, for example, you know, as we went into the pandemic, you were going through the most terrible loss. Yes. Your husband, your ex-husband, as he was, although I, I don't know that you ever officially divorced, did, no, did you? No, he, no. he passed away. Passed away. And I was there at the end. And it was just of COVID. He had Parkinson, but he died of COVID. And the thing is that but I knew I had to get on. I knew I had to get on because otherwise I would have fallen. Even then, because I lost the cookery school, the end, the, just before that as well. So that all happened. Yeah, so let's just let's just pause and, and paint a picture of what you were looking at at that stage. Right? So this is a man that you'd been separated from for many years, but spoke to daily, loved dearly cherished as a friend right every day yeah the cookery school was your life's work that had just closed that had had to close because it was just we weren't we weren't we was costing a lot of money every month and just couldn't sustain it so it actually we were with a college called Hadlow College and they went into educational administration we were part of that because of the apprenticeships and of course I had to close it so I lost all the money I put in there. I lost it all overnight, literally. But also a lot of your professional identity was wrapped up in the fact that you have been an educator for years. You've, yeah. you've run schools from the Outer Hebrides all the yeah. way down to Tunbridge Wells yes. and loved your work doing it. So Love it. there's that huge part of your identity. You lose your husband. And then not long after that, your mother passes away. Who yes. You've always had a very difficult relationship with. And then in the face of all of that, you sit down and go... I'm going to write my first novel. How do you do that, Rosemary? No, that was my agent. I couldn't believe it because what happened was, okay, I was trying to give back and I have a dear friend called Lavoie. She's the a drag queen. So funny on screen. Anyway, uh, we came up with this idea to make people laugh on a Saturday night. So she'd come to me on a Saturday and we'd do a wonderful zoom thing you know and cook and make people laugh and have some fun is this one of your cook-alongs it's my cook-alongs but then i started to have then i started to have more but then during that i had a couple of series which were on the go and of course it had to be shelved because we couldn't do it yeah so then um my my um heather she phoned me up and she said would you like to write um a crime and i said don't be so silly because she knows i love murder mysteries so anyway, I did the crime and did a stop. And I couldn't believe we got a three book deal. And I could not believe it. It was like a, a I couldn't be. Anyway, it was so difficult. So I got someone to help me 
um, to do it because I couldn't have done it. Not just anyone, mind you. He was very good. Yes, he's just very. He's no, your granddaughter. I thought. Yes, my granddaughter. Your sous chef, Suki. I thought she could be my assistant. So then I had to ring Suki up and say, "Will you be my assistant? Because I'm going to be." This is one of your four grandchildren. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to be Prudence Goldstrode. So you are my granddaughter, Suki. So she gave me permission. The only thing she does not like is when I. I keep on telling her I, I confiscate her phone sometimes and things like this. So she said it's not it's very mean because that's not how things are these days. And how was it working with your granddaughter? What did I, I love the idea of intergenerational shared knowledge, Rosemary. I think there's a lot to be said for it. And I think other cultures do it really well. Us less so. So how is that experience for you? Well, it's lovely because she's been on lots of things, lots of festivals with me. She's been doing demonstrations at the Ideal Home Exhibition with me. And I put on quite a few things. And she is, she's totally bonkers like me. And I just adore her for it. Because she's slightly alternative. She's wacky. She's interesting. She loves all the arts. And she wants to go into production. She wants to go into film school and things like this. Because she is really good. Talking of unlikely shared friendships or unlikely um, shared experiences, that takes me really, really nicely to uh, my first question for you. So do you mind if we jump in? Go on. As well as mentoring celebrities on screen, um, most recently you've you've mentored Peter Andre on Mm -hmm. Cooking with the Stars. You've Mm -hmm. also travelled the world for the Real Marigold Hotel. Mm -hmm. I love that programme. I mean, it is a ratings buster, isn't it? And I wanted to know about... What the experience of that and the adventures that you had with the people that you were thrown together with have taught you because you were primarily out to discover how other cultures lived out their retirement and their autumn years and what lessons we could extract from them. Right. It's a really good question, actually. Um, I've never been asked that question before. Um, And I think the wonderful thing was I'd never been in a group before like that. And I was worried about it because I felt being in that group, I thought that um, I didn't know if we would get on because I'm quite a strong person. My personality can irritate a lot of people. I'm sure it can. I'm sure they say, go away or something. So I sort of thought, well, I've got to be careful here. But then Miriam Margulies was there at the, at the uh, airport. So that was the first thing I loved because she's got a bigger personality than me. Thank goodness. So she sort of, she said, she shook her hand. She said, I'm Miriam Margulies, I'm a lesbian, and I'm, a, and I'm a, an actress or something. I said, yes, move on. Yeah, okay, let's move on. And so it was very, and we were, from that moment onwards, we were friends. And then um, we got on. There was one person I didn't get on with at all. Um, and that? I'm not even going to say, but there was one person. I did try very, very, very hard. So I had to stay well away. Uh, because it was um, very difficult to be in that situation because she she had too many hang-ups and it was too much of a crazy situation. And so... Well, it's quite an intense situation as well because I know that they reconfigure the cast members from show to show, but primarily you starred alongside Miriam, Sid Little from Little and Large, Stephanie Beecham, uh, Wayne Sleep, Bobby George... Roy Walker and Jan Leeming. Yeah. Did Uh, I miss anyone? Well, a lot more than that. Because I don't forget, I went to seven countries. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, went to seven countries. Went to Thailand, 
China, uh, uh, Vietnam, um, Japan, Mexico, uh, America, and India. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So there were a few, yes. Uh, those with all that. I love Steph Beachman. We laughed and laughed and laughed. And I said to her, and I think the thing about Steph, she, she whether it was, I don't know, I sort of. Does she, she mind you calling her Steph? Steph, no, I called her Steph. Come on, I called her Steph. I was like, no. So I said, uh, you know, right at the beginning, because she was quite, she was quite important, quite grand. So I said, look, I said, I can phone anybody in the chef world, Raymond Bond, whatever, and you can phone anybody in your world, the highest of the stars, etc. And I said, we're just two different people. Because I was so different to anybody she's ever met. We were two different people, but we're still as important as each other. And the moment I said that, it was like she completely came down and she she didn't have to be important with me anymore. She was just the person. And, you know, we, we love being together. And she was such a lovely person. Really, really lovely. I worked... So an unexpected friendship there. Totally. Totally unexpected friendship. Now... Sid Little, oh my God, he was lovely. Sharing that that cabin with him in the in the train was hysterical. I think I snored all night, absolutely all night. <laughs> Did you ever imagine a time in your life, Rosemary, where you'd be having a sleepover with Sid Little? <laughs> I don't know. I never thought that would ever happen ever in my life. No, it was hysterical. <laughs> it was very funny. Anyway, we had um, Miriam. I would say she's probably my closest friend of the people who have. Uh, we've ended up with and Bobby George as well because I love Bobby George but I, I call Bobby George a gentle giant he's so lovely but Miriam and I we we, we are in contact and which is lovely and, and I just adore her but the <laughs> thing about this is was that in the end of the day I actually um, we we learned patience I think I learned probably to hold back quite a bit because I had to because doing so many you know i'm a, i am a bossy person i can't help it and i don't but i don't need to be bossy because i think it's all, always more useful or it'll help because sometimes it's not a help sometimes it's got to come from someone else so i did learn that about myself in terms of the experiences that you enjoyed along the way how for example do the chinese do retirement differently yeah. to say the japanese well, or the vietnamese okay well i have to tell you that they they do things, funny enough, in a very similar way. They, it's always for the people. So they have in the parks. You go down to the parks. You go and have your Tai Chi. You go and have your exercises all the time, bicycling all the time. We join them. But also they have universities for old age people. Where's the, This is in China, is it? This is in China. Yeah, in China they do. They, they encourage the yes. retired to yes. go back to school because they believe that that there is value in continued education. Absolutely. And the other thing is, Japan, they have employment agencies for the over 50s. Just for the over 50s. So if you want to go to do a job, they have it. It takes you right up to 90, 100 years old. You could be any age. And it's for, they have actual agencies. And I think that was such a good idea. I kept on saying, we should have agencies for the over 50s in our country. Why not? Well, do you know what? How many years ago was that, Rosemary? And you look at where we are now, where there's this huge effort to try to encourage over 50s back into full-time work or out of part-time work or, yeah. I know. Because there's value in the acquired wisdom, experience and skills that you have at this stage of life. Exactly. So I do think, I do think it's important 
that um, for us, we don't, in this country, we don't treat our elderly well. We treat our elderly, I think, as if they have, as if they've sort of got nothing good to say. We, they, they're not important in society. They're either way. invisible or they're burdensome, invisible or nothing to contribute, nothing to contribute. Yeah. And I think that's, and that's not true. Wrong. There's when you go to China, or you go to Japan, or anywhere like that, uh, or Thailand, they respect your elders. India. The elders are the most important people. They really are. And and they would never do anything without the elders being there. No party, no nothing. And they all look after each other. You know, this was in all the society. I couldn't believe how lovely the children were to their grandparents, to the elderly in all these countries. They were amazing. It's only England had this warped type, you know, I think warped feeling of, that the old age is not, um, it's not a good thing, you know, no, you know, we are an invisible lot. And I think it's, you know, me, I'm still going strong. I'm doing so many things. I've got more series to go. You know, I mean, I'm still, I'm not going to retire. But think how many people have retired, you know, at my age and what they're doing. And I think it's wrong because people should be given the opportunity. Should they want to work? Yeah, but also the opportunity to be, um, considered as, as important to society. So things like meeting in the park for Tai Chi in China, that brings people together. Yes. You know, yes. And and the benefit is they're moving, they're exercising, yes. they're adding yes. value to their yes. daily life and their quality of life. That's then you've got I... the option of studying. I mean, that's so valuable, isn't it? Because oh, it keeps you cognitively, that's a cognitive workout. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you are absolutely right, Kate, because these people are... If you've got the opportunity, it doesn't cost them anything. It's free of charge. And mm -hmm. they literally can do anything they like. They have, we went into classes where they learned languages, they learned dancing, they learned art, they learned crafts, they learned everything. So it could be history, it could be anything. They were there, it was academic too, and they could still take exams as well. And they also, yeah. and with the, as you say, and with the Tai Chi, all the old people were in the parks, they were doing these things, and yeah, wonderful. They were all out there, and they... It was beautiful to watch, actually. I remember that oh, episode. Fabulous. Um, and also, it's, um, you know, in terms of helping to keep them away from NHS waiting lists, yeah. those things, education, sociability, movement, gentle exercise, all of that keeps them out of doctor's waiting rooms mm. and exactly. contributing to society. But also diet, but also mm. diet. Their diet is incredible. I mean, incredible. Uh, we were staying, every time we stayed, we stayed with a family. We weren't staying on our own. So we're giving the real deal. We had the real deal. Mm. Um, and they were so healthy. Everything was fresh from the market. Everything they bought in, they prepared everything. The older people were preparing everything. There, all the fish. Wherever you went, it was all fresh from the market. I mean... So no processed foods? No processed foods at all, where we went. No microwaves going ping-ping? No microwaves going. I don't think I ever saw a microwave, except in India. Mm. I didn't see anything. No, no. And there, the wilds were in the, in the floor. That was hysterical. The wilds were in the floor. But it was some... Um, yeah, was so where's the best place to get old in your experience? China? No. No. I'm going to think about, wait a minute, I need to think about this. Okay, if you're going to get old, 
I think Thailand's pretty good. But, you know, to go to Thailand, I would never do it, but I think it's a nice place to go getting old because I think they have, again, lots of facilities, lots of different things. And the culture, too, is more to your way of, to the Western way of, Well, it's not just that. They have reverence for older people. The older members of the community are considered to be important, senior, you know, and they take responsibility for their elders. Totally and utterly. The children were always there and they were all, you know, looking Mm. after and helping. And that's what it was all about. In terms of how good we have it here, what's the bits that that we take for granted here, do you think, in terms of our old age and retirement that maybe we should be a little bit more grateful for? A state pension, for example? Yes, but they have one. Um, they do? Yes. Um, no, I'm going to say, I don't think we've got a lot to be grateful for. Only because, wow. well, medical, yes. I think the medical side which is very difficult at the moment, but we do have a lot to be grateful for that it's private, that it's not private. And, you, you know, you can choose to go privately or you can go national, but it's always there. If you were ill, you get the best treatment, I think. Yeah, which is not the case, for example, in America. No, no. And even in Thailand or places like that, no. I mean, you have to pay. So consequently, it's, I think for us, growing old, I think it's the medical side. Uh, I definitely don't think it's being looked after. I think that is, a, that's horrible. I think I never want to go into a home ever, 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 because, you know, put me down first. <laughs> but I, don't, I really don't, because it would just, it would be the end, I think, the end of, you know, the beginning of the end. Your, your mother was in a home towards the end of her life, wasn't she? And I suppose you, you've had experience of that then. She was in a different home. She was in a home, 15 people only. And it was a lovely Georgian house, privately done, and it was totally different. But these ones, those mm. homes are very expensive, very, very expensive. Mm. It's like a, a hotel, you know, it's totally different. Um, I mean, you've got some very nice homes over here, sunshine homes and places like that. And they're done like hotels. Uh, but the food, the food actually is quite good there, I believe. But um, because I did something on um, food, um, the elder people, and... Uh, you know, but there are quite a few that are pretty ghastly. And so I'm not, I'm not looking forward to anything going wrong. I, I totally hear you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I wondered what your experiences were of um, the, the Florida retirement dream because, for example, I always look at where Jane Fonda's retired to, right? Jane Fonda looks like she's living her best life. She's in this very bougie retirement community, but they play tennis, there's restaurants on site. I mean, it's basically she's in an all-inclusive resort. I've been to one, I've been to one of those. We went to one of those, okay? Mm. So expensive, millions of pounds, millions mm. to stay Damn. there. They have... I bet it's the one we went to. I mean, they literally, it was so smart. It was so unbelievable. Um, it was it was like a five-star hotel, literally. Mm. Um, and she's, you know, I bet she's having a wonderful time. And you're looked after. So. You're taking care. It's wonderful. But that will cost you a lot of money. We don't have, except the odd smaller home, which my mother was into, we don't have a lot of those places, that is to say, people can afford it because they're, they have a different, they have a different way of looking at things in America. When we realized, when we were over there for the elder person, they actually started saving very young for their retirement, very young, whereas we started too late. And that's, mm. that's what happens where they started right at the beginning of their work life. So they had a completely different attitude to it, which actually was fascinating and uh, mm. which really worked. It's definitely well. lessons there, isn't there? Yeah, you know, right. Making those payments when, when, into... when, we, when we were discovering it all over there, we thought, why wasn't that encouraged mm. for us? But it mm. wasn't. It hasn't been. They should be No, I mean, at one point, my mother was told to stop paying her stamp because she was a part-time worker, hold on to the money, but then didn't nobody explained to her that that meant that she would have you know, a reduced state pension. It's hard enough to live on a state pension, let alone a reduced one. Yes, she's got a very big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a gap too. And you, you know, you, you couldn't at the time, I couldn't pay it off because so mine is slightly more reduced than now, but of course I'm still working. So thank goodness it doesn't make any much difference, but it's still not a lot of money at all. So people actually doing, surviving on that is very, very difficult. Because you don't have the facilities that they do when you're in the Far East. In America, you've saved up all your life. So the difference is, mean I learned, was save all your life in America to go to a home and you get something nice. Be in the Far East and you actually get looked after and fed, beautifully fed, looked after, and you can work as long as you like. And you have loads of opportunities. Come to Britain... And you end up being discarded on the on the blooming compost heap, you know, because you've got no value of anywhere anymore unless you are, unless you, you know, you can do things yourself. Health is everything. And if you haven't got your health, what do people do? What do exactly. people do? Health and that is, is the only thing that I think that we are in this country that we have is our national health system. And that's why we all have to support it so much because we need it. We really need it. Because to go back to private health would not be enjoyable by anybody. 
It also wouldn't be possible for most, for the most part, for most no, people. It wouldn't be possible, Kate. You're very right. Absolutely, it wouldn't be possible. So I think for me, that's what came out of it. Wow, what an adventure! I mean, I have to say, to <laughs> to be offered a job like that at any age in life, but at this stage in life, to go and travel the world and bring your findings back and share them with other men and women um, who are approaching the autumn of their life. What what a brilliant. What a brilliant gig to land. Well I done, have to you. tell you, I have to tell you, you're going to laugh. When I was in India for three weeks with Miriam and um, Bobby George and that lot, they actually was so, um, it was so amazing. I was, because I knew I probably would never get to India, but I did because of this show. But I was enjoying it so much. So they told me to stop enjoying it so much because <laughs> the taxpayer was paying the money. The, the, <laughs> I had to look more serious, but I was enjoying it. But I was also fascinated by it too. But I said, can't you enjoy yourself at the same time as being interested? No, I had to be a bit more serious. Look a bit, so, more, look a bit more kind of a downtrodden in the face of it all. Yes, oh. exactly. No, I mean, the only thing that I will say, going to the loo in these countries is quite a, it's quite a, a thing trying because the first new thing you have to do when you get older is find where the nearest loo is without doubt wherever you are where is your nearest loo but when you find the loo it is it really you know there are there are feelings of when you're looking at a hole in the ground you're like oh god oh terrible absolutely terrible so india was so like that and so was one or two places of the far east as well i bet yeah bit of a challenge it was a great it was a great opportunity, and I came back um, I, I, just with the more knowledge and more understanding how how they work. And to have had that opportunity of going into these places and actually, mm. I know we were filming, but we also experienced it. We yeah. ate their food. We talked to them. It was mm. fascinating. That was a remarkable thing to do. Many years ago, I used to I used to host travel shows for the BBC, so. Um, for example, I uh, was over in Laos and um, I got to do almsgiving at uh, dawn in a village with um, the, local, the, the local monastery. So the monks would pass through as, I mean, literally you could see the sort of way, clouds wafting through this village and it was all done in silence and everybody would come out of their homes and whatever they could spare to give to the monastery by way of oh provisions for the day, they would they would pass it over in silence. Now, I was being paid to go there and film and report that back, but that experience has stayed with me forever. So that is incredible, Kate. you know. I isn't, but but imagine how your frame of thinking, even your 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 frame of everything, how it reframes your day mm. to start your day like that, giving what you can to others. Right, just that alone, we don't do that. No, that's a great thing. But it's just culturally, there was so much to be to be learnt from yes. just you know forty eight hours living with those guys. We did go to a lot of monasteries, um, you know, and things like this, temples, where we did do a lot of meditation and things like that, mm. um, which again was very humbling because I I went to the kitchen on one of them, but also we had to do a lot of praying, a lot of like that. And um, on one occasion, it was actually too emotional for me. It was actually too emotional. And I found it, I found myself crying. And it was quite interesting because it was just all embracing. It was all encompassing. I couldn't cope with it. Um, 
you know, it was uh, there was one place in Mexico we went to these tribe these tribal people where the tents to um in this tent where we were sort of smoked out. And I actually I just I just broke down. I literally broke down. I mean it was unbelievable. And then they were all naked and they all came. I mean, it's one of these extraordinary things, you know, you have to experience it. And they actually didn't show it in the end. It was it was acts from editing because it was just too much. But it was unreal. Absolutely. And I, I got through the ceremony and I was just completely broke down. What do you think it was that had resonated with you in that it way? It was my childhood. It was the question they asked me, the question they asked me, if you, if you were a child now, what would you tell her? Oh. Do you know what? I love that question. It's a brilliant question. In fact, can I borrow it for my second question? Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay, so... If you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? I would say it will be okay. It will be tough, hard, but it will be all right at the end of the day. You have to stick with it and have courage. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's a hard question. I had a very hard childhood, so did my so did my siblings. Yeah. It wasn't just me. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, if you could tell that child then what we all know now about mental health. Yeah. That might have made an extraordinary difference to the experience of, of your childhood. For both you and your siblings. Your mother was an incredibly damaged woman. Um, I mean, at one point, I mean, it would never happen today, Rosemary, but you have documented in the past that when you were 14... Your mother believed that you and your siblings were the problem and she had you sectioned. She had men in white coats arrive at your house and take you away. Yeah, two men took me away in the car and I didn't know who these men were. On the grounds of... How was that explained to you? Well, because it was just because I, I, there was something wrong with me. Of course, there wasn't anything wrong with me. It was me being a teenager and her not coping, but she couldn't give the love. She couldn't cope with me because of her problems. She couldn't actually cope with the situation and... Mm. It was all about her, not about us. Now, the problem is when you're a teenager, you know, it's all about you. And it's all mm. about that, you know, we're teenagers. You That's know, quite your right as a teenager as well, by the way, to be completely self-obsessed and thoughtless. <laughs> That's your job. You are self-obsessed. I know my teenagers were totally self-obsessed. You always are. But she couldn't cope with this because we had to butter up her ego all the time. And the problem was I wanted to be noticed. And because I tried to be noticed by... All sorts of things, little things. I could go into details. You wouldn't believe. Just trying to get that love from her. And she couldn't do it. She couldn't give it. And um, so um, I decided, I decided they they asked me, they asked me, and I'll never forget it, to babysit for my sister, adopted sister at the time. Yes, because there's three of you that are biologically born to your parents. And then your mother decided, despite not coping with the three of you, that she would adopt a fourth. Yeah. And um, so, and I was so resentful because I wanted to go out. So I'm so resent. I mean, I was angry. So I decided to go to the cupboard and take a load of pills. But of course, I took a load of not doing anything, but just literally contention. I just wanted attention. And um, so as soon as they came home, I said, "Oh, I'm taking a load of pills." So of course, because <laughs> I just wanted the attention. So of course, they whisked me off to hospital did whatever and I knew I hadn't had that many because I wasn't stupid 
And then, of course, the next day they came and took me away. For three months? Yeah, three months. Do you think um, if you were, I mean, what do you think the diagnosis is, was of your mother's mental health? Oh, I can, I can tell you straight off. I think she had um, a form of Asperger's, a form of right. um, that sort of thing. She couldn't take, she couldn't take crowds. She couldn't take, um, she couldn't deal with more than one person at a time. She couldn't deal with any of us. She could only deal with us separately. Um, right. She also never did anything without conditions. You know, she couldn't, she, she everything. She was not well, it wasn't her fault. In these days, she would have been um, taken medically. In that, she said, what is the matter with her? You know, at school, they couldn't do a deal with her at school either because they said, we don't know what we're going to do with her. So she right through her youth. And so, for instance, she used to do odd things like, there, I remember her sister, um, my aunt, who's died, unfortunately, but she's so lovely. And they're all very, all the brothers and sisters were normal. And... Um, she one Easter, they took all the eggs and she got hold of all the Easter eggs and she ate them all every single. She sat on the bed eating everybody's Easter eggs. She knew what she was doing, but this was not normal. This was a this was someone who was some um, slightly, you know, she had to be the most important person in the room. And she could never get over that. Uh, it was a so you're convinced that she has Asperger's, but that doesn't that doesn't manifest itself in terms of you know I, I know look plenty of people with Asperger's. We had Chris Packham on recently. That doesn't make you mean, unkind. Um, it makes you emotionally detached, possibly. Yes, may, maybe she was not Asperger's. There is another one. I can't remember its name. There was another one which quite similar to that. Maybe it's the wrong one. But she. But you think definitely she had. She had, um, she has, she had issues that would put her on the spectrum for sure. Without doubt, without doubt. And I think that... So actually, in so many ways, Rosemary, the ignorance around mental health back then must have made her life very difficult for her to navigate. Impossible. But awful for anybody that kind of, you know, for, for, the, for the branches that hung from her tree, you, your siblings, your, your father. I mean, in the end, your father just stayed away, didn't he? You're so right. My God, you've got him one. He was never there. He was always abroad. You know, he was always somewhere else. And the thing is, because nobody knew about her, what she was and what was really wrong with her, nobody could help her. And the thing was that in those days, they didn't know, you know, how to help people like that. And I know now, because I've, I've got a, a cousin who is into psychiatry and all this, and she was saying... She was saying to me that if that had happened today, she would have got a lot of help and she would have been mm. okay because she's spent the whole of her life being resentful. She has been... Well, whole... misunderstood. And misunderstood. You know, just being... Yeah. Yeah. And, and then had people been aware of her own mental health, they might not have just been so ready to take her word that my daughter needs sectioning, for example, for three months. Um, there might have been more support. There might have been even an intervention in terms of helping her to better care for you guys. It sounds, sounds, you know, sounds like everybody was let down. But the thing is, look, neither my sister or myself, um, we are, we're not resentful, even angry. Because you, you can't spend your life blaming other people no. who couldn't help doing what they were doing. They couldn't help it. She couldn't. couldn't. So I... I treated my mother as having a handicap 
as having been being something there's something wrong you're not going to get through to her you're not going to say take a look at yourself she's not going to say because she was a perfect mother in her eyes she was absolutely perfect you cannot so you didn't have these conversations even later in life when maybe you were a bit more aware of no 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 because everything be i do came from her everything i achieved everything i did came from her so, oh, and I learned very on, very early on, that I was never going to get what I required was that unconditional love. And it was never going to come to me. So there came, there came, I, I got over it. I mean, it took me a long time because I was a bulimic for many years because of all that happened. And of course, I got over it by going through all this thing, this situation and taking myself through it because I was very ill with it. And that's why I got myself through what I got through. So, um, and you just go through life and things happen. And I was a serious bleeming, yes. I'm very lucky to be here today, you know. Always me. That was and, a long time that... ago, but it's yeah. what happened. It, you know, things happen in your life. And down the... But I, I mean, I had bulimia as, as a child and, and anorexia, and I, I came to understand very, much later it wasn't it was about control it was about having control when everything felt out of control and um absolutely so you had it too it is about controlling your life mm. isn't that interesting controlling in in a world where everything feels beyond your control so actually the only thing you control is your is your size by deciding what goes in and out of your body exactly Exactly. In a very, you know, I'm being very basic in, in, in explaining it in that way. It's far more nuanced than that. I think, you know, I think the understanding we have now of even th like, you know, when I was bulimic, you know, people would say, well, just stop making yourself sick. Of course they would, because that just made total sense to them. But I think we now understand it's a mental health issue. It's you're mentally unwell and you don't treat it practically. You treat it emotionally and I, I think for your mother's generation, if you were unlucky enough to be born with mental health issues, then you probably spent your life feeling like you were never belonging or being understood anywhere. I think you, Kate, you put it in one. You've been very clever. You put it in one. But your your compassion around that, Rosemary, was so extraordinary when, for example, your husband, who I know you married at a very young age, Michael, and remains you know, one of the most special people in your heart and your world. Um, and I am so sorry for your for your loss, but I know that when things went wrong in the 90s um, for you guys, his mental health really suffered. Had your experiences in childhood helped you to help him with that, yes, do you think, or it, care? It certainly did, but then, and then, you know, in myself, I had to also make a bit of a selfish situation, was if I didn't look after myself, then I'd go under as well, because Michael never really recovered. And I, it wasn't that I was selfish, but I knew, I knew, and I told him, if I, if I just don't do anything about what I do, you know, just carry on. I said, I'm never going to move on. I have to help, I have to help myself to help children, because the children were still young. So, um, and I did. So I said to him, I've got to, I've got to leave you, and I've got to go and, at that point, then I, I went to, uh, you know, I let, went and lived with friends and family and, you know, 
on people's spare rooms and things. So I had to get working again. It was so important. It was really, and he never, ever recovered, ever, from losing I'm everything. so sorry for that. Well, he, he, he saw, he died a very poor man. And the thing is that he, he was, yet yeah, he gets, he was a very clever barrister. He was a very clever man, but nobody taught him because he came from a very, a family that in a way spoiled him. He had, he was away, boarding school from the age of 10. So you see, he, he never learned to be strong in his life. He was so kind. He was the kindest soul in this whole world. If you met him, you would have loved him. And everybody loved Michael, but he just couldn't do, if you know what I mean, because he was very lazy. And, but the thing is, he was a very nice, I think he was very successful in his character and with everything. And he was a wonderful father. And that's all I can say. And I, I've never, the children, I've never let him, the children know anything else because, you know, they were very lucky to have him as a father because he was a wonderful man. It was just I couldn't do anything for him except help, help him financially and things at the end. I couldn't do any more because I wasn't capable because I was working so hard myself. And it hurt. And actually, I feel really guilty. I feel really, really guilty in the end that um, he wasn't, I know I was with him in the hospital at the end, but he, he wasn't with me at home. I couldn't have him because he couldn't get down the steps. He couldn't do this. It was very difficult. So I have to lick this guilt. But you were with him, Rosemary. You were with him as he as he passed over, as he took his last breath. You were with him. You know, you never left his side, even though you may have led left your marriage. Yes, you were still very much his partner in life. So, so go easy on yourself. Yeah, he was. He was an incredible man. Um, It's just you know he was too kind. He'd give he'd give his shirt off his back. That's what he was. He'd give the shirt off his back, literally. But, you know, when you think about that, I mean, when you got married, you bought your, your first home from Harrods. <laughs> your weekly grocery shops came from Harrods. This was not a man who'd had to worry about money. Uh, and it's not his fault that he was born to great privilege. Uh, maybe uh, at some point in his adult life could have taken responsibility for being a bit more financially yeah. minded. But fundamentally, you know, he'd never had to worry about what ifs or maybes no, because never. it was always a given. I mean, he didn't work for about 20 years, 30 years. I mean, I don't know. He didn't work for a long time. And you supported him through that? I did support him, yes. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that time that you, you talk about where you had to walk away, I, I read something that you said, and I really would love to pick up with you on it for my third and final question. That's all right. You've said that one day you would love to throw a party for all of the people who 30 years ago were there to look after you when you were in dire straits, Mm -hmm. when when everything had gone. Yes. So I thought, let's plan this party. Who's on the guest list? I. Who do you want to say thank you to? There are so many And how did they help? Well, um, some of them looked after me, put me up in their spare bedrooms. Um, I mean, you kind of sofa surfed for four years, didn't you? I sofa surfed for four years. Yes, I did. Exactly that. Um, with two young children back at home with a father yes, who was no, exactly. struggling. Two, no, no, they weren't. We lost our home. We lost everything. Two young children. My my daughter was at university. My um, son was, was at university. He had just left. But they lived in London, St. John's Wood, with my mother-in-law oh, and my husband. But the thing was that um, because I couldn't live there as well, it wasn't possible. And of course, uh, 
so they were comfortable but i wasn't so i sort of nearly nearly i mean i was almost on the streets you know it was so bad i thought unless people put me up it was very bad but the people who looked after me at that time were my close all close friends and they were with michael as well um a whole host of them even pierre kaufman who took me on who i told the story to and that's why he said I've got great courage. He's a good friend of mine now. I mean, Pierre Kaufman. Let, let's just understand this, right? Is 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 a world-renowned, you know, acclaimed yes. chef, and you yes. offered your services to work in his kitchen free of charge for a week to kind of show him the cut of your jib. Yes. And at the yes. end of that, he was so taken by you, he created a role for you. He he offered me the job. Yeah. No, he had a role. He had a role, and he, he had a role. Me. He had a role for me, and he offered me the job. I was in the patisserie section in the, it was like the sort of lowest section, you know, doing breads, patisserie and things like this. And then I moved to Larder and then I did this for him. And he, I worked so hard and there was, I've got so many stories to tell him, but I had a dream. I had a dream because Pierre Cotton was one of my favorite restaurant, uh, you know, chefs. And the dream said, write to Pierre Kaufman, which I would never have done. I don't know. It was so vivid, this dream. So I, really? the next day, I this is what happened. The next day I wrote to him straight away. And the next day he got the, the, the CV from me. It wasn't a great CV because I'd never worked in a Michelin style restaurant, but it was, I'd worked with chefs. But, and then he said, well, come in. Can you come in today? I get that straight away. This is unheard of. Then I go straight in with my knives and whites. And he said, now, let's see what you can do. And he put me at the back of the kitchen. He got me there, started going, and I worked free of charge. And I'll never forget, he actually offered me the job. Because I had no qualifications in cooking. He actually offered me the job um, there and then on the Friday, saying, well, I don't pay very much, but I'd like you to work here. Because he'd gone around everybody asking what I was like to work with. Because obviously in a brigade of nine, which it was in those days, um, yeah. we actually you had to be, you know, on it. They had to like you. But also I would imagine that there was suspicion around, well, how's a woman with children going to do these hours? Especially one that speaks as nicely as you do. <laughs> there would be the assumptions made that, well, does she even need the job? Well, exactly. And that is exactly right. But in fact, my children were older, don't forget. And they would, could live on Yeah. That. So there, that was, thank God, that was it, because it would have been worse. Um, but, yeah. What a nice guy, though, right? So that, that was a lifeline when you I really did, needed it, Rosemary. Yes, it was a lifeline. But I want to just reiterate something. I want to just tell you, and you are absolutely right. You actually pointed it out. They actually, it worked out all right at Tom Clare. So I had a great time. It was very funny. And that's another story. And we, I went to social security when we lost in, in Cornwall I was being I couldn't have any money because the bank had pulled us in but I couldn't feed my animals so it was so important to feed my animals I didn't care about me my parents were going through a divorce at the time so of course they were old going through a divorce and it was just a complete nightmare so I went into social security which I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I said I need some money for my for my animals because I can't. I've got no money to feed them. Well, you see, I mean, what a ridiculous thing to go in to say. I'm speaking like I'm speaking, and I had to write down what do you have? Do you have yes assets? Yes. What? Yes. Yes. Well, they said you're not liable for anything. Go. And it was just one of these moments. I thought, oh my goodness me, 
what on earth has just happened? It was like, it was such a ridiculous situation. But, and it was because obviously the way I spoke, it didn't help. That's what reminded me of that. It just did not Yeah. Help. Because at that point, Rosemary, you had to sell what land you'd inherited in order to pay back the banks and the loans that had been taken out. Your husband had, had, had decided to invest in Cornish property and, and, you know, recession hit. I mean, when you say you lost everything, you lost everything. everything. At that I mean, point, you were everything. left with what you could carry. Yep. And what I did was I got, I hired a white van. So I took this white van. And I got a few shackles out. I mean, I've got, I saved, I had, a, we had a big house, but I saved, I saved um, quite a lot of stuff. Going around England and putting my furniture into people's garages and houses. So what I did, I made these journeys to Cornwall and I got somebody to come with me. I drove the car, I drove the van and somebody to come with me to actually do all this stuff and pick up this furniture and put it in other people's garages and houses. And people helped me doing it. So I saved a lot of a lot of stuff because Michael was selling a lot of stuff as well at that time. So I thought I've got to save something. I've got to save it. So that's how I did it. I drove a van, a big white, a big one of these big white vans oh around, around the country to get my furniture into different places to oh save it. And who were these friends that, that sort of elevated you, took you in, cared for you, um, that would, would populate this party guest list? Who are they and, and, and why was their kindness so valuable? Oh, do you know, I want this party so badly. I would like to, do you know what I want to? I would like all these people, and I want you to come as well, all these people to come with people that now are my friends now because of the other people. The yeah. other people hadn't helped me. I wouldn't have what I have today. I bought no. a beautiful home with my saved furniture. I've got a beautiful... I've got have you my, still got some of your saved furniture? Yeah, and my paintings and my things. I still save them. I still save them. So I've got, not all of them, I tell you, I sold a lot. But, you know, what are things there for? Things are only things. Life is all about content. And it's about what you do in life. That's what's important and how you are with other people. And to me, to be able to share that lot of group of friends with my new group of friends would be the best thing in the whole wide world. I tell you, it would just, there are so do it. many people. It would just be so me. Let's do it. Let's okay, have this party. To do it. I don't know how to do it, yeah. but I've got to do it. Thank you, Kate, for, um, thank you, Kate, for, um, uh, ask me those questions that I'd never been asked before and I answered them truthfully but I've had a long I've had quite a long life you know it's not bad a few quite a few years <laughs> well do you know what Rosemary what I discovered is once I read beneath the bluster which was the oh it's all right it's okay yeah 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 which is very much you yeah. because you are entirely positive but once you dig just slightly beneath the surface of that what I realised is that there is a there's a woman here who has lived a very difficult life at times that has been dressed in privilege and your privilege stopped people stepping in to intervene or help. And I'm really sorry for that and I hope that that wouldn't happen today. Oh, it certainly wouldn't happen today. But also I think, I say to people, it's always character building. Everything's character building. Yeah. What a woman, what a life. 
My huge thanks to Rosemary Schrager. And if you fancy a cosy crime novel, her second book, The Proof in the Pudding, is available now wherever you buy your books. And if you're looking for some sugar-free chutneys or a nice pie, Ocado's the place to go, courtesy of Rosemary. And for more chef talk and food for thought, why not head over to our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with Dame Prue Leith, Tom Kerridge, Marcus Waring, Simon Rimmer, John Turode and Lisa Faulkner, James Martin, Greg Wallace, Grace Dent and Favourite Play. I'll be back on your feeds next Tuesday with another something from the cellar, bringing up three guests for our midweek mini episode of Vintage Conversations. Until then, thanks for listening. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.